It began as a quixotic quest for glory. Maybe you heard recently in the news the discovery of the ship Endurance, which had sunk more than 100 years ago. And recently, some Arctic explorers recovered it a thousand feet or more down below the surface of the water. In August of 1914, the 28 members of the Good Ship Endurance endeavored to be the first team ever to cross the Antarctic continent on foot. Just a few years before that, the first polar explorer had discovered the South Pole. But this crew, they wanted to go a step further. They were going to go across the entire continent on foot. It began as this magnificent intrepid and ignorant journey. Because before they even reach the continent, they find their ship locked in a utter uh, sea of ice. They're surrounded by ice, unable to go any further. And now their heroic journey has turned into a ship of fools. They knew not what they did. Jesus' first word from the cross speaks to our human pride, our human foolishness, our sinful arrogance and ignorance. Father, forgive them. For even in the best of times, even with their best intentions, they know not what they do. Remember, if you were to ask any of the religious leaders there at that time, do you know what you're doing? To a person, they all would have said, yes, absolutely. We know very well what we are doing. We are getting rid of this troublemaker, this blasphemer, this one who claims to be the Messiah, the very Son of God. What are we doing? We are preserving the people of God. We are ensuring the pureness of God's doctrine. We are looking out for the reputation of Almighty. They know very well what they're doing. Or so they think. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He comes to rescue not merely the sensible sinners, but each and every one of us in all of our senseless sinfulness. Our captain, our good captain Christ, comes to rescue this ship of fools, which is our entire world. The second word. 
One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. As the time dragged on for the crew of the Endurance, locked in that ocean of ice, the men start to become crestfallen, utterly devoid of hope, with not a single solution to a one of them. I take that back. They did have one solution. In Alfred Lansing's recounting of the Endurance, he writes this, as the hours dragged by and their agony deepened, the men fought back with the single pitifully ridiculous weapon that they had. Curses. They cursed everything cursable. The sea, the boat, the spray, the cold, the wind, one another, and even God. There was a kind of pleading tone to their curses, though, as if they were prayerfully appealing for deliverance from this wet and freezing misery. Beside Christ, our captain, are a pair of wayward sailors. And the one of them, utterly devoid of any hope, crestfallen, does the only thing that he knows how to do, 
He curses the one who could save him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He rebukes him, rails him. Whereas that other wayward sailor has a moment of realization. We are here justly. But this one, this one has done nothing wrong. And so he offers up a kind of prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that prayer for him and for you does not fall on deaf ears. But Christ, our captain, says, today you will be with me in paradise. There is the true source of hope. The third word. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home.
The captain of the Endurance was the unflappable, indomitable Ernest Shackleton. Shackleton had made many polar expeditions before, but he had never made it to the pole. This was going to be his greatest moment, making it not only to the pole, but making it across the continent. He desperately wanted to complete his mission. But even more than that, he recognized that his role as the captain, as the leader of his people, what he needed to do even more than anything else was to ensure the safe passage of his men. That's who he cared about. The other 27 guys on the endurance, those are the ones, those were his ultimate mission. Their safety. He was notorious for always putting the men first, even at cost to himself. At one point, Frank Hurley, who was the photographer for the ship, he, uh, he lost his mittens. They fell overboard. You can only imagine as you're on an Antarctic journey how important it is to have your mittens. And so Shackleton offers to him his own. Hurley protests. He says, it's my own fault. You're the captain. You're the one who, who needs these mittens more than anything else. And Shackleton, in a rage, threatens to throw Hurley overboard if he doesn't take the mittens. Hurley conceded. And Shackleton himself would later suffer from frostbite. This was the leader he was, always, even to his own detriment, looking out for those under his charge. So also, our good captain. To the very end, he has in mind the care of others. Notice, in this moment, Jesus is already hanging on the cross. And what is he thinking about? Is he thinking about the pains that he is enduring? Is he, th is he thinking about all the difficulties, the things that could have gone differently? Is he thinking about how even now he can call down the legions of angels in order to rescue him from that moment? No. His mind is on his mother, Mary. On his beloved friend, John. Woman. Behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Look out for one another in my absence. Do not forget each other. And so our Lord never neglects you. Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered to our good captain. Who threatens not to throw you overboard. But instead sacrifices all. Savior.
the fourth word. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elisha. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. When things couldn't get any worse for the crew of the Endurance, suddenly it did. For a few months, they had at least the, the shelter and the refuge of their ship. Even though it was held fast and stuck in the ice, at least they had those comfy, cozy quarters, such as they were, a place where they'd be able to, to play cards and to encourage one another. But they started to hear the timbers cracking and the nails popping. And they realized the ice was smashing the ship. They needed to abandon it. Now they were going to have to somehow survive on the barren, utterly desolate icebergs floating through the South Atlantic Sea. Now all of their hope had been cut off. 
And again, in Lansing's book, he sums up their situation this way. They were castaways in one of the most savage regions of the world, drifting they knew not where, without a hope of rescue, subsisting only so long as providence sent them food to eat. If you wanted a worldly picture of what hell looks like, you could do worse than that. Utterly cut off, separated, and without hope. But closer still is our captain's cry of dereliction from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can't even grasp what it is to be separated from God. Even in the midst of the most trying and difficult times in this world, still we live under the beneficence of our almighty king. Were he to withhold his hand from this world, then we would really see what hell looks like. But even in the very worst of times, he is holding back that flood of evil from wiping us all away. But there in that moment on the cross, he endures it. He knows it. He endures that forsakenness that you and I justly deserve. He knew the dread cost of abandonment so that you and I might never know it. So that even in our darkest of hours, we would still have the comfort of our good shepherd who was with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus was forsaken that you and I be not forsaken. He was utterly cut off, cast adrift in those dark, dreary seas so that we would be brought back to the cozy, comforting confines of the refuge of our Father. The fifth word. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth.
before very long, floating on those ice flows, caught adrift in the South Atlantic Sea, it's clear to Captain Shackleton that the survival of his crew has only one hope. He himself will have to go for help. And so how does he do that? Just hop on the radio and call an SOS? Throw up a flare? No, none of those are an option. Instead, he's going to have to take their lifeboat that they had kept from the ship, a 22-foot-long lifeboat called the Caird. And he himself is now going to have to captain this lifeboat on an 850-mile trek on the most treacherous part of the South Atlantic Sea to try and reach the little whaling island of South Georgia. Why attempt this? Why not just resign yourself to your fate, as many of the men had already said that they ought to be doing at that point? Curse God and die. He won't do that. No, his mission is his men. He thirsts, and he does it joyously. In a remarkable passage in his book, Alfred Lansing recounts this moment of Captain Shackleton making the journey. The sight that the cared, his ship, his boat, presented was one of the most incongruous imaginable. Here was a patched and battered 22-foot boat daring to sail alone across the world's most tempestuous sea, her rigging festooned with a threadbare collection of clothing and half-rotten sleeping bags. Her crew consisted of a man whose face was black with caked soot and half hidden by a matted beard, whose body was dead white from constant soaking in salt water. In addition, his face and particularly his fingers were marked with ugly round patches of missing skin where frostbite had eaten into the flesh. His legs from the knees down were chafed and raw from the countless punishing trips crawling across the rocks in the bottom. And in all of that, afflicted with saltwater boils on his wrists, ankles, and yes, buttocks. But had someone unexpectedly come upon this bizarre scene, undoubtedly the most striking thing would have been the attitude of Captain Shackleton. Relaxed, even faintly jovial, almost as if he were on an outing of some sort. So also, and even more so, for Christ our captain, as it says in the Psalms, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. That is the prayer of our Lord Jesus. It is the prayer, first of all, of how he longs for the Father's presence, but also how he longs and how he thirsts in order to make you and me his own. Yes, it is suffering that he endures, suffering of the, the most di difficult and undeniable sort. And yet, Christ our captain, he joyfully does it for you and for me. As it says in Hebrews, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame. He suffers 
and he thirsts, but he does so joyously. The sixth word. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Shackleton could only eke out three words. I've made it. He made it. Improbably, impossibly, impossibly, he successfully crossed the Atlantic 850 miles to the little island of South Georgia. 
It was a trip, ironically enough, that was probably more dangerous and difficult than it would have been for him to traverse the continent of Antarctica. It was over, but it wasn't finished. See, he landed on the wrong side of the island, the uninhabited side. And if he was going to get to the whaling station where he'd be able to to get help, he was going to have to cross over the 10,000-foot-high inland mountain. Lansing recounts this about the mountain. This certainly was not high by normal mountain climbing standards, 10,000 feet. But the interior of the island had been described by one expert as a sawtooth thrust through the tortured upheaval of mountain and glacier that falls in chaos to the northern sea. In short, it was impassable. As the life drains out of him and the dreadful journey takes its toll, Christ our captain is only able to eke out three little words, a single word in Greek. It is finished. The all-sufficient sacrifice has been offered. The all-availing redemption has been won. Jesus has been faithful to the very last, and now he can say, it is finished. But it is not over. The seventh and final word. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. He came so far 
to save his men. Shackleton couldn't stop now. But standing atop the mountain, having made it down a little ways onto the other side, in sight of his destination, night starts to fall. And he realizes that when the light fails, he'll freeze. He can't stay up there on top of the mountain. And so suddenly he'd come so far, but this whole quest now looks futile. But then he gets an idea. An outrageous, ridiculous idea. He's going to have to slide down. The slope was just gentle enough that he thinks maybe, just maybe, I could make it. He knows that anything could happen. He hits a rock, he's dead. He falls into a crevice, he's dead. If he just goes off the end, he's dead. It's a ridiculous, outrageous idea. But he had taken with him a single page out of his Bible. Forgive him, he tore it out. He couldn't carry all of it with him. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And in that confidence, he cries out a prayer to the Father and then lets himself go. Down, 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 screaming all the way down. And then, coming to a gentle stop, just a few hundred feet above the town below, the daring, crazy captain was safe. And because of his fearless sacrifice, every single one of his men were saved. Not a single one lost. Jesus' final word is a word of letting go. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He stands astride the deepest, darkest abyss, which he knows at all, at all together at any moment he could avoid if he wanted to. He could cry out to those angels. He could say, he could tap out and say, Father, I've had enough. But instead, he offers himself up in the full confidence of the Father's faithfulness. He had come so far, and he wasn't going to stop now. And so he lets himself go into those everlasting arms. Christ, our fearless, crazy captain, gave up all. And because of his sacrifice, This ship of fools is saved. Amen.